What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three guys who'd be murdered day one in prison with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'll never look at mutton chops the same way again. Don't you mean Burnsides? Oh, sorry, mutton chop slash a Burnside community. I'm Keith Baker, and I need to brush up on my bocce ball. And I'm Austin Terry, and I would never survive a prison riot. I got really uncomfortable during that scene. I was hoping it was a dream, and then I was like, it doesn't matter if it's a dream or a real riot. If I was there, I'm dying. (laughs) So it just... They made it the scariest thing in the world to me now after watching that episode. On today's show, of course, we are talking about Apple TV Plus's new miniseries, Blackbird. But before we discuss this really fucked up story, walk me through how you guys would get a confession out of somebody in prison. I think I'd become known as like cafeteria boy or something like that. And I would just save up all my cookies. I would get to a point where I have like seven or nine cookies and I would just bargain. I would hand out cookies for confessions. And that's that's how I would get confessions out of people. I'd be either cafeteria boy or the cookie boy, mm. which I don't know if you want the nickname cookie boy in prison. You don't. <laughs> yeah, cookie boy would not be a good nickname. <laughs> um, I think I would try to convince whoever I need a confession from that I have like no short-term memory or something like that. Like I could just kind of convince them. I'm just like this crazy guy that I forget everything you tell me after like two minutes. And that way they'll tell me what they did, but I'll kind of like, I'll give it like a week to to, like actually like kind of build up some rapport with them. And then, then I'll start kind of asking some like crazy questions. You could have cookie boy hit you in the head. That way it seems Mm. like you have an injury or something. And then I would forget why I got slapped. I guess I got hit by something earlier, like maybe a cookie or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I would just have to stay in prison. I, would, I, I wouldn't be able to get the job here to go to a maximum security prison and get a confession. I would just have to do my full 10 years without the possibility for parole, I think, because apparently you just have to be a really fucked up person. You have to like want to fuck dead corpses. If that's not you, then I don't think you can relate to these people <laughs> and, get, <laughs> and get a confession like this. So. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I'm just going to do my time, unfortunately. All right, well, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. Blackbird hit Apple TV Plus last month and just wrapped up its six-episode miniseries run last week. It tells the true story of Jimmy Keen, a successful narcotics dealer who is arrested and offered a commuted sentence if he enters a dangerous maximum security facility to extract a confession from suspected child rapist and serial murderer Larry Hall. The show has a lot of talent in front of and behind the camera, and it was interestingly, but I guess after the fact, unsurprisingly developed by Dennis Lehane. Lehane is most known for being the author behind Gone Baby Gone, Mystic River, The Drop, and Shutter Island all of which have been adapted into critically acclaimed and some award-winning films. So, Austin and Keith, did you guys have any expectations going into this? And of course, let me know your non-spoiler thoughts on Blackbird. Yeah, I didn't know anything about this show going into it, um, but kind of like we've talked about this year with Apple TV, they've built up such an impressive roster of just thrilling and interesting shows that I'm just at the point now where I assume everything they put out is going to be a hit. Um, And I think they've got another one with Blackbird. Um, I was completely enthralled and invested in this story. I think the way it tells its story over its six episode run is it's very slow, but very well paced. And they build tension incredibly well in this show. Um, All the performances are fantastic. And the story itself, the fact that it's based on a real story is, is, of course, heartbreaking. But then the actual story is very interesting. And the way they kind of uh, suck you into it and, and kind of make you root for a guy that is a convicted arms dealer and drug trafficker, but you're still kind of rooting for him to get the confession and the way he kind of gets some redemption through the story. All of that was very interesting. Um, I think it's a fantastic watch and I would highly recommend it to anybody. 
I'm with you, Austin. Uh, I was enthralled from the beginning, like you said, going from episode to episode. I think I binged it in you know just two days, two or three days. Definitely brought me back to some like prison break kind of memories watching that back in high school. Um, yeah, overall, I thought it was awesome. The story was very interesting. Acting was great. Um, definitely built tension. I'm, and I'm glad it, they didn't do too much. And obviously, this is based on a true story, but I'm, I'm glad they didn't do too much. Um, how do I put it? Like cliche, like prison stuff, like gangs and all that kind of stuff, which is was in there, but they didn't they didn't have to like explain it, which was nice. I liked how they mainly focused just on these two guys. Um, so that was cool. Yeah, I really like Blackbird as well. Um, I agree with Austin. I think Apple TV is just kind of quietly becoming maybe one of like the must-have streaming services. It just feels like every show they put out is a hit. Even, you know, I think a lot of streaming services uh, struggle with their original movies, which is kind of weird. Like their shows, they can hit out of the park with their movies. That's just like a different animal, I guess. But even Apple TV Plus, I, I really like a lot of their movies. Swan Song. Finch, Greyhound. I think I'm pretty sure those were all Apple TV, and I enjoyed all of those. So, here's another one, another you know must-watch piece of content in my opinion. Uh, so, if you don't have Apple TV Plus, they just keep putting out hits. So now's the time to get it. Um, yeah. So for me specifically, I think what I really liked about it was everything you guys mentioned. The acting is obviously, I mean, fantastic. Taron Egerton and Paul Walter Hauser as our main leads are so engaging to watch. Um, and yeah, the fact that it's based on a true story made it even more enthralling and even scarier. And I also just really like the atmosphere of the show because not only did it have, you know, that prison element, of course, not only was it really dark at times, sometimes funny in a fucked up way, it could be really emotional, but there was, I don't know how to describe it, I guess there was like a surrealist, sometimes supernatural quality to it, like the way they... I guess I won't spoil it, but the way they use narration at times, the way they cut away to certain things, the way they do dream sequences, if you want to call them that, like they don't play out how you would expect. Like sometimes it is almost like a horror element. Like there's like this weird supernatural, like un otherworldly style quality to some of like the way they tell the story, which makes it even even more like fucked up. But um, yeah, I think it's a. A really great watch. I mean, really, the only thing I can say negatively about it is, and maybe I don't know how you guys feel. I don't know how people in general feel about this, but for me, without question, the first three episodes were the highlight of the show. And then I was a little bit surprised that, like, the final three, which is, of course, including the ending of the story, I wasn't quite as engaged. I still really liked it, but I definitely preferred the beginning to this story. Um, but yeah, I guess that's all I really have for now. I think despite that, it's a great watch and I would definitely recommend it. I've been I've already recommended it to a few people, some uh my family, some other friends, and it sounds like they're starting to get into it and really like it as well. So yeah, definitely recommend this one. That's yeah, interesting. I think the I think actually the back three episodes for me are the standout of the show. I, I really like the intro, but when you get into kind of the cat and mouse game in the prison, that was what was most engaging to me. And and that's kind of the majority of the back three episodes. I think the main thing I could say negatively about the show is there's definitely some A, B, and C plots, um, and, and the A plot gets the most time and is the most interesting, and I do think some of the B and C plots get lost by the time the actual credits roll. Um, I want to talk about that more when we get into spoilers, but I think the stories they choose to give time to stay really interesting, but I think some of the other stories kind of get forgotten by the time you finish the show. Yeah, I guess I'm coming in the middle with, of you guys. I don't think I have any like climactic episodes. I think they were all, for the most part, pretty even for me. Um, I think the first episode did a really good job of like bringing us into this world, though. 
um, and kind of originating uh, Jimmy Keene's story um, and how he got into prison. So that was cool. Um, but like you said, I liked what you said, Austin, like the cat, the cat and mouse game in prison was fun to watch for the last three or four episodes. Um, so yeah, I was pretty much even all around. All right. Well, it sounds like we all three definitely really recommend this show. So that's always exciting. I think that's going to lead to a good conversation. But that means to continue our conversation, we have to get into spoiler territory. So if you have not watched Blackbird, which I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening and maybe otherwise that haven't gotten around to this yet. So definitely go check it out before getting into our spoiler conversation after this, because well, it is a true story, there's definitely a lot of uh, unexpected things. I don't think you should ruin yourself on this one quite yet. And Apple TV, if, if you're listening, we are all shameless and we will sell out. If you want to sponsor this podcast, we will only promote your content on this show. All right, well, let's go ahead and do it. It's time for spoilers. As usual, Austin and Keith, we are welcoming everybody to spoiler territory, so please start us off with the cast and crew. All right, so every episode of Blackbird is directed by Michael R. Roscom, Jim McKay, and Joe Chappelle. The show is developed by Dennis Lehane, who mostly contributed to the writing and teleplay as well, and our score for the entire show is composed by Mogwai. And going into our cast, we have Taryn Egerton as Jimmy Keene, Paul Walter Hauser as Larry Hall, Sepide Mofi as Lauren McCauley, and we got Greg Kinnear as Brian Miller, the late Ray Liotta as James Big Jim Keen. Um, all right, guys, there's our cast and crew. Any positives, any negatives? What do we got? Yeah, for a six-episode show, it's a shockingly small cast. Um, my highlight, Paul Walter Hauser's performance in this show was incredible. Um, the guy is super creepy. Every time he was on screen, he made my skin crawl the way he talks the way his voice kind of mimics the real guy just everything about his performance i thought was fantastic in this show his voice um and like just the eyes and the way he looks at everything looks at jimmy and everybody else and his tongue might be the scariest thing i've seen on tv this entire year i hate that guy's tongue (laughs) well i guess i'll shout out the keens then i thought both taron egerton and ray Liotta as his father um yeah they were just great I thought, you know, as our POV character with Jimmy Keene, Taron Egerton did a great job. I mean, he's a great actor as well. The battle of wits that kind of plays out between him and uh, Paul Walter Hauser is, of course, great. But then also like in the quieter moments, like just the emotional moments, the conversations he has with his father, whenever he's reflecting on his past with his mom, for example. Um, And yeah, just seeing kind of the... I don't know, kind of the evolution from really just this really charismatic guy that's happy with his life and is just content to sell drugs, make money, and have a bunch of sex, and then seeing where he ends up at the end, it's a believable arc and one that I was really happy to watch, mainly because I thought he did such a great job. And then, of course, Ray Liotta. It's a shame that he's gone. Gone too soon, if you ask me. But um, yeah, if this is one of his final performances, I think he's cemented why he's one of, you know, just the greats. Um, I thought he was awesome in the show. Really heartbreaking, but also, like, really tough in the way that you expect Ray Liotta to be in most things. But I think in his later career, he has been embracing these roles with a lot of vulnerability to them. And, and just watching this kind of guy who they basically tell us that Jimmy embraced the life he did because his dad was a bit of an unsavory person in his younger years. And watching him now be an older man and be upset to see where his son is and be against him going into this uh, like facility. All the while, he's dealing with strokes on the outside. I mean, it was a really emotional performance. And 
I wanted more of him, but I think I think they gave us the right amount. Um, that like le- always left me like clamoring for more and always like super sad, but and then sometimes happy by the end to see him on screen. He was really good. I also wanted more of Ray Liotta in this show because I thought the performance was incredible too. Um, but with the actual like big Jim Keen character, I w- I kept waiting for his role to get more important in the show and and his importance in the show actually kind of dwindles by the time you get to the final episode. So I was just a little bit confused by like why he was so heavily involved in the first half of the show. Yeah. I was really thinking that Jamie needing 10 grand for the prison guard Carter. I thought that was going to be a, like a, a bigger um, conflict that Ray Lode was, was going to have to solve on the, on the outside world. So I was hoping to see more of that. Maybe him searching the apartment and all that for more kilos, as they say. But yeah, from what we got, it was awesome. Yeah, we'll talk about that, like Austin said in general, but maybe that's why I like the first three episodes more um, now that we're kind of um, getting all our thoughts out there. It makes more sense because it, it, it feels like the entire ensemble cast is heavily involved in the first half of the show, in my opinion. And then the second half is really just like the Jimmy Keene versus Larry Hall, which that's the show. That's what it should be. But I, I did always find myself missing, you know, those side characters, like the cop story with Brian Miller and Lauren. Um, and then, of course, like we just said with Ray Liotta, it's like, yeah, they kind of all started to exit the show little by little towards the end. So I think maybe now that we're kind of getting it all out there, that's why I really enjoyed that first half, because it felt like all those characters were more involved. The cop story and the cat and mouse story were the two I was the most interested in. And when you get into the second half, it's really just those two dueling stories and all the prison drama kind of gets lost, I think, especially with like the mafia guy and the corrupt prison guard. Like they don't make an appearance until the final episode and they're gone for like episodes three and four, I think. So it's just easy to kind of forget about some of those other stories because the other like main two stories are so interesting. Especially with the cop story, it did get comical at times where it's like, shouldn't they be coming to meet Jimmy more? Isn't that like the whole (laughs) It's really, yeah, it's, yeah. it's honestly kind of I was stupid. questioning that. I feel like in real life, that probably wasn't an issue, but then they had to like dramatize it for the show. So then it's like, they keep setting up like, I'll pretend to be your girlfriend. And then she only visits him once. And then like, she just shows up at the end, like, Jimmy, we'll make this right. It's like, where the fuck were you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind of goofy at times. But um, before we get full on into our like discussion and like random thoughts, I want to let you guys know what everybody else thinks of Blackbird with our critical reception. Pretty quick, um, but very surprising. Blackbird currently holds an approval rating of 99% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average rating of 8.2 out of 10 per episode. The website's critical consensus reads, Dennis Lehane's penchant for authentic grit is on full display in Blackbird, an absorbing prison drama distinguished by its moral complexity and elevated by an outstanding ensemble. What do you think they mean by moral complexity? Because I feel like the morality of this show is pretty straightforward. Like you have a serial murderer who you're trying to keep in prison. Yeah, I guess so. And we'll, and we'll talk about the character of Jimmy Keene. I think that's how we can open our conversation later. But yeah, I, I never really felt any issues with him. I guess maybe I got a little bit of that towards the end, like maybe with like the Gary character. I mean, obviously not doing anything good, but you know, there is like some weird, I guess loyalty thing with family there and i guess also like the moral complexity of going into prison under this pretense and trying to coax out this confession and is jimmy kane a good guy so i don't know i feel like maybe them dropping moral complexity like you said austin maybe it's just they were like oh that sounds good we could put that in there but i <laughs> think i'm kind of with word. you i didn't really get that level of like oh wow who am i rooting for because i was always rooting for jimmy i felt like 
Well, let's start our broader conversation then with uh, discussing the Jimmy Keene character. Um, I kind of mentioned this in my intro, but the real life Jimmy Keene is a gun runner and um, drug dealer. Do you think they tried to make the theatrical Jimmy Keene a little bit too likable in the show? Because I, I think, you know, the first episode is really about him getting caught and captured and put in prison. But throughout the show, he stays like a very charming, likable guy. And I think they kind of needed to keep him that way so you could be rooting for him in this prison with all the other kind of psychotic people. How do you feel about what they did with the Jimmy Keene character for the purposes of this show? Yeah, I think they did a pretty good job of establishing him as kind of like this douchebag and kind of just really arrogant, cocky, uh, womanizer, criminal that, you know, doesn't think, you know, anything's ever going to catch up to him. As we see him get into prison and and then take on this job of trying to get uh, Hall to confess, you kind of really like start to see like I guess his acting skills in a way, not Terranigan acting skills, but I mean like the actual character Jimmy Keen's acting skills because it's what he's doing this whole time is pretending to be a friend. So it's like really cool that he had that skill set under underneath all of that like douchebaggery. Yeah, I think just on like a simple level, uh, I f- I always found Jimmy super easy to root for because like you kind of alluded to. He's a gun runner. He's a drug dealer. But whenever he gets into this, you know, big prison, it's like he's just surrounded by rapists and murderers. So then he instantly becomes way easier to root for. Um, So just from like a storytelling perspective, I thought that worked. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I think Keith kind of nailed it. I guess there's like a fine line sometimes between just a full on smarmy, arrogant douchebag and then just like a really charming person that can kind of talk his way out of anything or into anything. Uh, I think Taron Egerton did a great job of walking that line because in the beginning he was certainly the former, whereas towards the end and like during, you know, his time in prison, he's certainly the latter. Um, Yeah, it was fascinating to watch him use those skills that he could use in the outside world to like woo a woman to convince Larry Hall to tell him where a body's buried. Like something like that was super interesting to watch. Um, and then as for like, can I root for him? I don't know too much about the real guy, obviously. I think the way you put it, Austin, does make sense because it's like, yeah, well, we can't forget what this guy did do, which is true. But then, you know, whenever they let us know that like he, you know, went on to a successful career in business outside of unsavory ac- and criminal activity. And then he did, you know, keep in touch with the FBI and he helped them, you know, profile serial killers. I was like, OK, that's cool. So he did kind of, you know keep that going and he stayed humble like you said Keith so yeah I think I was always able to root for him and I think it helped even more the fact that we got those quiet moments with him where it's like he's gone through an entire day of hearing about Larry Hall's like murders and sexual like fucked up activities and then it's like he has to put on a straight face like yeah man yeah that's cool I've done something similar and then like cuts to him like that night and in, in, like in his cell and he's just like sobbing. So yeah, I that think... was one of the best scenes in the show. I thought and that was a great way to close out episode five. Right. Whenever you get stuff like that, it's like okay, yeah, I, I can definitely root for this guy because he's earnestly trying to do the right thing. Especially by the end, whenever you see like how hell bent he is on getting the FBI the locations of those bodies from that map. I mean, it, it was clearly important to him to try and give those families peace. So. Yeah, very, very likable character, but I understand like the whole like, is he too likable? Could they have pulled back? Maybe they could have, but it definitely worked for me. That's the stuff I like the most about his character was seeing him go from a guy who, when he first gets offered this role, says, I don't know the girls, I don't know the families, I don't care. And then going from that character to at the end, he's weeping in prison. He's doing everything he can to get this confession out of Larry Hall. He's choosing to stay in prison when the FBI offers to pull him out. 
I like seeing how bought in he got into getting these families closure from the stuff Larry Hall did to their kids. Um, what was sometimes unclear for me with the Jimmy Keen character was when he was just telling Larry stuff he wanted him to hear or like when he was telling him the truth. I was, it, they never kind of made it clear if, if some of the stuff he's confessing to Larry is how he actually feels or if he was just kind of making that up to get Larry to keep talking. Right. Like, I assume Jimmy Keene never had sex with a 14-year-old, he said, but I guess they never, you know, clarify later. <laughs> but yeah, to yeah. your point, I think he's just telling, you know, Larry what he wants to hear at that point. But, you know, who knows? Sometimes it was a little unclear because because it's such a small cast and the FBI agent was like kind of absent from the show in the second half. There wasn't like any good scenes where she came to visit him in prison and he got to kind of unload on her and like or let her know and that's what, what i think we could have used this him being like i've been telling him all this stuff yeah and then she could have told him like hey maybe you should try like saying that you've had sex with like a 14 year old and like talk about that experience because he'll probably open up to you if we had gotten stuff like that maybe it would have made the character more clear but you know like i said it still worked for me for the most part whenever like he was talking about like really crazy shit i just assumed he was you know telling larry what he wanted to hear but i don't know it's almost like he has to confess himself to Larry, like in order to get him to trust him and all that. So it's like at the same at, at the same time he's trying to expose Larry, he's also having to expose himself. So I think a lot of the stuff he was telling Larry was probably stuff he actually did do, but just more on an exaggerated level, try to make it more creepy or maybe sinister of the stuff that he did in his past, like his high school days and how weird that could have been. Um, so I kind of like that aspect of that. He kind of had to like break down himself in order to break down this other guy. And the way Paul Walter Hauser like reacts to the stuff that Jim Keen is telling him, like just with his facial expressions and the way he moves his eyes around, like all that stuff from him was, was very well acted, but at the same time, just so creepy and it makes your skin crawl every time this dude's on screen. And so never like he's definitely telling the truth. They do let us know now that I'm thinking about it, because like we did get flashbacks to his mom. So clearly that entire spiel about his mom and his stepdad and this really fucked up. It, it was so fucked up that even Larry Hall was like, oh, my God, that's fucked up. <laughs> like whenever yeah. his own mother basically put it on him, like one that you, I, I just got to stay with this guy until you get bigger so that you can beat him up and quote unquote save me. It's like, oh, God just a really disgusting situation. But yeah, I was glad they flashed back to that because otherwise I would have been like, is this true? Like, because that sounds like a really, you know, crazy story, but apparently it was. Yeah, I think that was the only thing that didn't work with me sometimes with the Jimmy Keen character is just having to be like, is this true or is he lying? Like they just never kind of made that clear in the show. Well, kind of going into that whole, like, is it true? Is it not? Is it a dream? Is it not? Or just like all those like kind of like weird questions and supernatural elements. We should talk about the atmosphere of the show because we already kind of alluded to it at the top, but I didn't expect kind of this like ethereal, eerie feeling from this show. I kind of just expected dark and gritty. I think the critics even called it out as being like that Dennis Lehane grit. Um, I didn't expect like these weird dream sequences where like all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're flashing back to him playing football with his dad again. And then Larry Hall walks in wearing his like reenactment uniform or whatever. And then it goes from like he and his dad, like, you know, having fun, like wrestling after playing football. Then it just cuts to like his dad or like his or I think it cuts to Jimmy Keene using like the double belt Larry Hall thing, like choking his own mother. Whoa, like these really fucked up images that I think like played really well in showing the deterioration that we already alluded to of Jimmy Keene. The more time he spends in prison talking to Larry Hall, trying to get this confession, the more damaged he becomes. And also at the same time, the more. He's trying to do more in order to, you know, 
get peace for these families and peace for himself, but it just it gets paired with these really like this fucked up imagery. So like what you guys think of like the general atmosphere and some of those more like those crazier images, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I think you nailed it that the flashbacks and the the way they make those dream sequences feel they really add to the overall vibe of the show, which is kind of it's kind of like this like melancholy darkness that you just feel every time you start an episode of this show. I think the way they do flashbacks in this show is it's probably the best I've seen in a while. Like it just it always stays engaging and never kind of I never had a feeling of like, all right, get me back to the actual story, which you can kind of have with flashbacks sometimes. Everything that they presented to me, I was always interested in wanting to learn more. Yeah, I think they definitely did a good job of establishing like what it would probably be like to be in prison and have that that heightened sense of paranoia that he has. Like when he's walking through and he kinda has not not a uh I guess you can really call it a dream sequence because he's awake, but more just um uh, I guess hallucinations that he's seeing the the Carter guy uh tell everybody in the prison that he's a snitch and all that kind of stuff, which he ended up kind of doing, but um but then it just cuts and he's not telling anybody anything uh on the side. And he was just kind of thinking that everybody's like looking at him and all that. Um so that was I think that was that was pretty cool because I think that's Probably would what it'd be like to be in prison. Like no one, maybe no one's looking at you, but you think everybody is. I think it's good too that they showed us what his life was like in the first prison he went to, kind of a minimal security prison, because you got to see that it was kind of cushy, and he had found a way to kind of make it, um, like successful, if you want to call it that, in prison. And he was going to have a pretty easy ten years there, and then to cut from that to just a drastic dichotomy in the maximum security prison where there are all these violent people there's fights breaking out all the time he's surrounded by just like insane people the guards are worse in this prison i think having that juxtaposition of the the minimal security prison with the maximum was really helpful too to show you like the actual hell he was walking into yeah that's the thing that i was thinking about too i feel like they did such a good job of just setting up that lower security facility and then everybody tells him not to take that deal and it's like eh, it won't be that bad and then whenever he walks in, it's like, whoa, wow, yeah, this is way different. This place is bad. So the atmosphere between those two places alone was just ugh, crazy. And like the panic before he actually steps foot in the prison with the marshals when he tries to back out one last time. It was cool, too, to see like how quickly he's able to like bond and have that like bro-y camaraderie with those guys, too. Like almost immediately, he's like part of their group and they're shooting the shit on the plane and all that. The show did a really good job of showing you how charismatic this dude is. and like can kind of blend in in any situation. Like he can go from a drug runner to blending in with U.S. Marshals to to running a, a porn scheme in prison where he's making money off of uh, Playboy magazines. Like they, they tell us a lot that he's like a chameleon and, and works in any crowd. But then I think they did a good job of actually showing you that too and making you believe this dude can fit in anywhere. A different side of like the whole atmosphere thing was, I don't know how much I loved it, but I did want to bring it up just because it was so different from everything else in the show. For whatever reason, I found it a little bit cheesy, which I know is kind of a shitty thing to say because, again, it's weird talking about a show based on a true story that is this crazy of a story. But, like, it was interesting that they started the show with the girl, you know, riding her bike. And then, I don't know, maybe four episodes later, she's like the main narrator of the episode, if you guys remember that, talking about, like, oh, here's a boy that I met and he's blushing because he just told me he likes me for the first time. And now I like that. And, like, she basically just keeps narrating up to the point she's like, I lived for 5,000 days, sex, or yeah, or whatever. And then like, it's like, oh, she's talking about dying. And then it's like, 
But then they weirdly do something that, like these types of shows and movies never do where like they also acknowledge that she did have a life. She's not just like a statistic. Like she talks about like the reason they showed all these happy That's what I liked with about her. it. Yeah. Because I thought it was kind of cheesy that like she was narrating. But then I was like, oh, this is actually kind of cool where she's talking about like, oh, my sister and I or my friend or whoever it was. We got these shoes and like we tried to wash them for the first time. And oh, it took so long to dry. And like, oh, my first crush. And then it's like. She ended up being, of course, murdered and they can't find her body. But it's like, oh, she was more than just a number on Larry Hall's list of murders. But she actually had a life and all these great memories. So I thought that was really cool. But I mean, that that was kind of a standout thing for me just because it was so different. I mean, we had so many narrators in the show. But I mean, that was a victim. Did that stand out to you guys at all as like part of that kind of strange otherworldly atmosphere that we've talked about? I liked it because they put like a face in a story to one of the one of the victims we're learning about because I think if you're into true crime and like follow some of the serial killer stuff it's very easy to get like caught up in the numbers and the body counts and because that's the interesting part of some of these stories but I, I like that they took one of these one of these victims and actually showed you her life and showed you it was taken away from her and her family it kind of made Larry Hall seem even more of a monster and gave a little bit more um, humanity to just like the 22 that you said Matt like they throw that number around a lot too of there's 21 bodies, it might be 40, but to actually like go through one of the lives of the victims, I thought was pretty important for the show. Yeah, I totally agree. I don't have too much to add there. I think it was that was perfect that they did that. Like you said, to add add a life to one of the victims so it's not just a number count. Um, and to show like like, oh wow, this this girl was a really sweet girl. She lived out in the country, she had friends, she had a, a you know, a really full life up until the point where she was uh murdered by him and you have to remember that like times that by 21 and he did that to 21 different lives. So it's like, it's yeah. insane. So you really, yeah, I think it really uh, shows the weight of, of his crimes and who and how fucked up this guy really is. And I guess, yeah. Ugh, yeah. It's, it's really just super messed up to think about. But when talking about the uh, uh, female that was narrating, I guess we kind of first met her in the beginning of the show and, I believe that was one of the initial cases that Greg Kinnear was investigating. So that kind of made me want to bring up. It sounds like maybe I was higher on the beginning of the show than you guys were. But I think we should talk about kind of that initial, really thrilling for me, at least, and just super interesting, that early part of the show where they are flashing back, essentially, and showing us how Larry was imprisoned in the first place. And it kind of felt like, I mean, that was like an extended, maybe couple, maybe three episode story. There was like a subplot in the flashbacks leading up to, we keep hearing about like this guy that makes these false confessions. And it's like, what does that even really mean? So he's in prison for that. But then we see like uh, Greg Kinnear, like do all this investigating. We finally see him meet Larry Hall for the first time. And then he ends up getting arrested. And that's like the first time that we see him confess to something but then like immediately be like oh i was coerced into it so what do you think of like that entire story in the first place because i i was just super invested and interested in this story because i thought they did such a good job in the quote-unquote present of the show setting up the guy that jimmy keen's gonna go have to get a confession from and then while they're telling us that they keep flashing back showing greg kinnear essentially leading up to him meeting him for the first time and it's like oh this is the guy i found this this was some of my favorite stuff in the entire show yeah, mine too. Um, this is some of the most interesting like detective stuff I've seen since like Mindhunter and True Detective. It was so engaging. It was really cool to see them work the case. And I like that they showed us how Larry Hall was kind of enabled by 
the small town he was Everyone, from yeah. by the two separate police departments who just one thought he was just like a weird guy in town and then the other one him. just didn't take his confession seri- seriously um so i like that they gave time to that and showed like yes larry hall is a monster but there were opportunities to get him off the street sooner and he was enabled by these other towns because of those like kind of small town bonds um so i liked all of that i thought it was great and i liked also seeing that brian miller had this conviction that he knew Larry Hall was his guy, even though everybody was telling him he was wrong. He still wanted to work the case, do the detective work and find a way to get this guy in prison. Yeah. It was just super satisfying with that first meeting with Brian and and Larry. Cause Brian really just goes in there and just says like, fuck you to all of the officers in there and like lays the hammer down. And it's like, y'all know this guy's like clearly insane. Right. Cause they were all just like, Oh, he's harmless. He, he wouldn't hurt a fly. He's just like, He's kind of awkward, but I mean, that's about it. Even the way those other officers are talking about girls and how they're like, yeah, there were complaints, but you know how they are. They get riled up easily. Like, I, I thought they did a really good job of showing you that there were all these red flags and nobody latched onto it until Brian Miller got involved. Yeah. Yeah. The town was so bought into Larry to a point where at first it seems like, oh, I guess Larry Hall is just kind of a liked person in this community. And like I kind of said earlier, I really just think it's because they pitied him and they felt bad for him that they were like. We're willing to stand up for him to a degree, but it just shows the lengths that some of those people will go because Brian Miller, I mean, I'm not an expert, obviously. I don't know what you would call it, but maybe it's not, you know, cold, hard proof, but it's pretty close when he basically shows up to that meeting with Larry Hall and all of them. And he's like, hey, this guy is a Civil War reenactor. I can link multiple murders and disappearances two weekends where Larry Hall was in town for a reenactment. Is that not weird to you? And they're just like, uh, whatever. I understand that's not proof. It's not enough. It's like the DA would later say or whatever, but it's something. And like, they just didn't even care about that. And they already had other people that they had convicted. And so they just wanted to get like their conviction numbers in place so they could move on with their careers. And then they were the ones that took credit for it later. <laughs> Whenever he does yeah. get arrested, they're like, we got him. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> so that detective story is kind of mirroring our actual present day prison story. What did you think was more interesting? Were you more engaged in the detective story or did you like the cat and mouse story more? I don't know. I like both. I love a good detective story. Um, but I also was really looking forward to this cat and mouse in the prison too. It's hard to, I don't know if I can really choose one or the other. I think I liked both of them and I liked the back and forth uh, overall. I don't, do you guys think they should have, instead of like bouncing back and forth, do you think maybe they should have done like the first two episodes of detective story and then they just kind of cut off from there? and then go into the prison cat and mouse? Or do you like how they kind of meshed it? I thought it was meshed well because it did kind of give you a break from that atmosphere of the prison, which was nice because the prison stuff is so intense. Um, I think like four straight episodes of that would have been a lot to handle. So having that break was good. I think his visits was something that kind of got lost in the show. I was excited when like his dad came or the one time the FBI agent came, like actually seeing those, uh, those visits and him kind of getting to drop his persona a little bit, I thought was also really well done when that did happen. I think for me, the actual detective story was the more interesting part of this show, but the performances in the cat and mouse game was also super engaging and and one of my favorite parts of the show too. I liked how it was meshed as well, but I just only felt like it was meshed together and edited well in the first three episodes. And then in four, five, and six, it really just felt like the cat and mouse story to me. It didn't really feel like the detective element was really there. Like I said earlier, 
you know, Lauren McCauley like shows up once in prison and then it feels like she's largely absent from the back half of the show until the last episode where she shows up and is like, we'll make this right, Jimmy. And then Greg Kinnear is also weirdly absent. Like it felt like their main scene was whenever they go to see Gary, which I think also was the last episode. So, yeah, for me, the first half of the show really was that detective element. And I think I'm with Austin. I thought that was more interesting. Like, how did they get this guy arrested and how are they going to keep him in prison? I thought that was pretty fascinating. And then, like, of course, the Jimmy Keene of it all was really cool. I thought the acting was definitely more of what was appealing about that story because the detective story didn't really have much fluff. Whereas the prison story did. It had those weird like gang members. It had the weird guard. It just felt like there was some unresolved things like I know we've already talked about. But um, yeah, the acting was what I liked about that storyline. And I guess I always knew once he got to prison, like even though it was a true story, I was like, well, I'm assuming Jimmy Keene's out of prison. So he must have, you know, done his job to a degree. Um, So I guess I just always expected that that would happen. Um, whereas with the detective story, I was like, I have no idea how they're going to get this guy and I have no idea how they're going to keep him behind bars. Uh, so that's what I was more interested in. And I guess I just wish that because it was meshed and edited together so well in the beginning, I, I would have liked a little bit of that in the final episodes, but I still was uh, satisfied with both stories. So let's get into some of those subplots that we've touched on getting lost. Um, we of course have our, our prison guard Carter. We've got that old mafia man who was, that involvement was just weird. And then we have the brother Gary. Um, so these are kind of like the three C plots I was touching on at the beginning. They're heavily involved in like episodes three and four. And then all of these kind of get lost um, almost to a comical point that like you kind of said, Matt, like whenever Carter pops up and he's like, I'm going to get you, Jimmy, you owe me money. And it's like, OK, but what are you doing? Like you haven't you haven't made his life harder. All you did was take his phone calls away. So some of that stuff I thought really got lost in this show. Yeah, the Carter thing was weird because I actually I thought Carter Carter was kind of a cool character, kind of an idiot, <laughs> but also kind of but knew he was in a position of some like of somewhat power. Very aware of his power. Yeah, yeah. very aware of his power. But also power. just a dumbass. But yeah, just a dumbass. And then and then it's kind of like then I, you could tell in his eyes that he just like he was trying to figure out like oh how do I how can I intimidate this guy? And then Jimmy's kind of like Jimmy kind of notices that he's kind of a dumbass. He's like oh this guy doesn't really have anything on me. And he like he can paint me as a snitch, which he already kind of did. Yeah, which he does. And then that doesn't really lead to anything. Yeah. <laughs> and Jimmy calls him out. Jimmy just pretty much calls him out there at the end. He's like, yeah, you just, you played all your cards too soon. Like you have nothing, you can't really do anything to me anymore. I have a feeling that story is a bigger part in the actual book that Jimmy Keen wrote. Because they did include it in the shows, which which makes me think in the book, like this guard probably fucked with him a little bit more while he was in prison. Maybe. It's either that or they just completely made it up for the show as to have or that. some extra yeah. drama. I'd be I'd like to read the book and see because to me, it felt like they added it for the show because it goes nowhere. <laughs> so I was like, is this real? I don't know. Um, oh, man. Yeah, there was so many like goofy things with the prison. And I hate saying that things are goofy in a story like this because I know they weren't meant to be. But. There's this really cool element where it's like, okay, I guess the warden knows about the situation, but I don't think we ever see the warden. But then they establish, oh, this guy that Jimmy can go to see, like either a a psychiatrist or a therapist, whatever you want to call him, you know, this guy knows Jimmy's role as well. And it's like, okay, here's what we'll do. I'll give you my phone number. Nobody knows that. So if you tell the guards that, then they'll let you talk to me. He's like, okay, cool. And then he goes on an extended vacation at some point in the show and becomes Which makes you think like- if you have this vacation plan, but then you're put in charge of this guy's safety, maybe you postpone your vacation just or by you a tell, few weeks. Or at least you tell Jimmy that you're going on vacation. Yeah. And instead they bring in this 
ludicrous other character that is just another doctor filling that role. Who I'm so it, glad you brought this up. Yeah, this, this is character really bad. Is insane. This is pretty terrible. <laughs> she shows up, and in their first meeting, it's like, oh, I guess they're just showing us that the other doctor's on vacation. Fine. But then it turns into this weird, like, Jimmy Keen, are you fucking with the mental health of my patients? And then he's like, which patients? And it's like, why are they doing this? It's, they're obviously talking about Larry. I don't understand <laughs> what's happening right now. Then this ties into the Carter storyline because I, I agreed with you guys up to a point. It's like Jimmy's like, you can't do anything else to me, Carter. You already told everybody I'm a snitch. You took away my phone calls. What else are you going to do? And then they imply that he's the one that puts him in solitary. And I was like, okay, obviously he can still do that. But whenever they pull him out of his cell, Carter is like the only guard not there. In fact, the person overseeing it is the replacement doctor who's just standing there with her arms crossed. So are they implying that like she cares much more about the mental wherewithal and wellness of Larry Hall than listening to this guy that says he's trying to find out where these bodies are? <laughs> it was so stupid. <laughs> and how does she have the authority to just give him solitary confinement for that? Like they had a conversation. He didn't assault Larry Hall. He didn't do anything violent. Yeah, I assumed it was Carter, but then they showed her standing there. So I was like, yeah, uh... that was confusing. If, if that's something she did in real life, then that's interesting. And I'm, I'm sure it's probably better explained in the book. But in specifically in the show, they don't do a good job of saying why she is so invested in Larry Hall, why she wants to protect him so badly. Because to your point, Matt, she knows what this guy is convicted of. So she should not be that invested in this guy to a point where she's going to confine another man to solitary confinement just for upsetting Larry Hall one day. Like That's how it's presented in the show, and it's so weird. It seems like she of all people would be one to perk up when she hears Jimmy Keene being pulled away in front of her saying, I need to talk to this doctor. Here is his phone number. He told me his phone number. I need to call him. And if they wanted her to see Larry as innocent, then they should have maybe established that in some way. That way we yeah. would not be confused by this. And then when Larry goes to talk to her and he's mentioning his new friend, James, you know, now, now it makes sense why she's kind of pressuring James to say, you know, why, you know, why are you fucking with my patients and all that? Yeah. I did think one of these storylines did well, but I guess we should talk about just real quick the last one that I thought wasn't done well, which is basically I thought ended the exact same way as these other ones, which was the... Tony Amendola's character is like, I guess this Italian, you know, oh, Mr. Gigante, higher up guy, yeah, high up guy in the uh, in the prison. mafia old man. And it felt like, okay, this is probably gonna go somewhere interesting. Once he, they kind of link up and they're playing bocce ball together, they're having conversations. And it, I thought it got to a really interesting point. Wherever he's like, you know, I, I looked into you, Jimmy. Yeah, you're a good guy. Everybody that's ever worked with you, you know, they all all they have is good things to say. And I think he even says something like. That's high praise. That's good. That's good to hear. But then whenever he was like, but you know, that was all from people hearing it from other people. Nobody's ever talked about working with you or seeing you directly. You know, what does that mean? I was like, oh, shit, this is bad. And then the, the resolution to his character is just Carter tells him he's a snitch. And then he shows up at night in front of Jimmy's cell. And it's just like, you know, you fucked with the wrong guy. And then we never see him again. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> This just felt like wasted time. I don't know why this was given screen time in the show. It felt like this the time that we spent with this character could have been given to like the FBI agents coming to talk to him in prison or something like I that. I would have preferred that, yeah. For sure. Um, I did want to talk about a positive, though, because one character that really is barely in the first three episodes, and I was like, okay, you know, I don't really personally care about this, but maybe it'll go somewhere. And that was the Gary character. 
But then by the end of the show, I actually did start to like his involvement more, seeing him come visit Larry, see the things that they're talking about. And then that final, I was like, thank God they brought back, you know, Lauren and Brian for that final scene with Gary, which I thought was really dark and messed up. And yeah, seeing that final scene, even after that, once Jimmy gets out, you know, Gary being the one to kind of finally break that uh, delusion and tell his brother that he needs to confess to everything. I like the Gary stuff, and I thought at least that one had an ending with that final scene between him and Larry, whereas all these other subplots really didn't have an ending. They just, we got like one quick final scene and then they moved on. So I, li- I like the Gary stuff. Did you guys like that? It's unfortunate, but I, I think the thing with Gary is just, I was just happy this story at least had a conclusion, because um, the other two, like we talked about, just felt so pointless, and then they don't lead anywhere. Um, it, it was kind of cool to see, like, in the wrap-up of the show, when they tell you the real-life Gary did get did convince Larry to convince, to confess to 15 murders. So at least like he did something positive. Um, but he's also another character that just kind of enabled this guy yeah, um, like the rest exactly. of the town and the police officers did. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think it was cool um, how they kind of wrapped up his story. It's a good example of what happens in a lot of these kind of cases where like family members are kind of in denial that they're, you know, their baby, their baby boy or their, their baby brother could do something, you know, this unimaginable. Um, so very realistic and, super sad like that he kind of does finally realize like shit like this is real like I, I kept denying all this stuff and all that but no my brother actually did this so I have to turn against him and tell him he needs to face the truth that conversation with, with the detectives was super interesting in the final episode though that was a highlight for sure I guess now that I'm saying that now I'm remembering Gary got sent the map of the bodies by Larry and then they just show his dad burning it and did you guys get, did you, what was your guys' read on that? Like, did you guys take away anything from that? Because if I recall, the only time we ever saw the dad was in the flashbacks where he, like, forced Larry to, like, dig the graves. Like, I guess we're supposed to assume that the dad was also aware that Larry was probably killing people and then he just wanted to bury it. I mean, did you guys take away anything kind of interesting from that scene where he just burns the map? I just took it as, like, this is a guy that's kind of always lived off the grid, kind of on like the outskirts of society with his grave digging role and then grave robbing roles. Um, so I kind of just took it as he's, you know, protecting his son and then, but then also kind of giving like a fuck you to the authorities too, by getting rid of this evidence. A final scene with Jimmy Keen trying to remember the map and screaming for a pen and then writing it in his blood and, and all that was like so intense though. I thought that was so well done. Yeah. Even more. Yeah. And it didn't lead anywhere. Which I guess it shouldn't be too surprising because it's not like a detailed map. It was basically just like, here's a state, here's one river, and there's like, you know, supposedly a body there. So it's like, that's not going to help anybody find anything. But it's still like, even with that map, you know, even if they had gotten it, I still don't think they would have found any bodies, which, you know, from the text at the end, we know they didn't. But, you know, still crazy that despite all that, nothing came of it, really. Other than the fact that he can't kill anybody else because he's in prison, which is still a win for sure. And at least it was kind of a confession to Jimmy Keene too like he can I think he was able to testify that he was told all this information and all that so it it led somewhere but it unfortunately didn't lead to any bodies being found and I guess it's always weird talking about like endings when it comes to you know media based on a true story because it's like you know if we just look at it from like an overhead um view uh it's just you know the story is Jimmy Keene has to go into this prison force this confession out and if he does so he gets his sentence commuted and ultimately he kind of gets that but like we just said it doesn't really lead anywhere whenever the text pops up it's like Jimmy Keene went on to have a successful life his dad passed away a few years later Larry Hall lost his appeal he's still in prison no bodies were found Gary did get him to admit his crimes but of course he later 
withdrew all those confessions. So it's like, I guess it's a weird way to put it, but were you guys satisfied by the ending? Do you think the way they told this like dramatized version of the story, was it a conclusion that left you feeling like, oh, I'm glad I watched that. That was a good watch, good ending, all that. Or were you kind of like, I don't know, is it anticlimactic in any way? I know it's a weird word, like I said, to use for a true story, but just curious. I think it was overall unsatisfying, but I think that's a good thing because the story itself isn't very satisfying because, you know, the the bodies were never found and these families really won't get closure after what Larry Hall did to them. So it does reflect how the story wraps up in real life from like a dramatic, like storytelling point of view. I was hoping for like a final scene with Larry Hall in court, Jimmy Keene on the, on the stand, like testifying, like, here's everything he told me, like Jimmy Keene kind of put in the final nails in Larry's coffin. I was hoping we were going to get that. But if that didn't happen in real life, then, you know, they can't really put that in the show. So I was glad it like reflected what happened in real life. But I was hoping for that final like gotcha moment with Larry. Yeah, that is kind of weird because it's a true story. So like, you can't really say too much about how you wanted it to go. But yeah, I guess it was satisfying in the sense that, you know, Jimmy Keene did was not in there doing all that for nothing. He did get enough evidence to convict him of the crimes, so you know he wasn't lying and all that, but sadly couldn't get the location of the bodies, which would have been satisfying, obviously. Um, and like you said, Austin, it would have been cool to see like a courtroom drama quick scene of them in the same room together and him testifying. I was kind of hoping for that as well, but uh, it was cool to see that, you know, that uh, Beaumont and the judge were in there and, and to, you know, set Jimmy free. Um, so the deal, you know, he did go through with the deal and all that. So that was that was good to see. Uh, but yeah, God, it sucks that that Larry Hall guy confessed and then once again took back his confession. So he just like, this guy just keeps playing the same games over and over. So, yeah. which is super unsatisfying. Like, God damn it. Like, <laughs> it's like you want more to happen to him. I'm curious if he's going to end up being one of those serial killers that on their deathbed admits things that that tends to happen sometimes with people like this i wonder if he'll be from everything we know about him i feel like he won't be (laughs) but we'll see i will say i didn't need the final scene of jimmy keen flirting with the flight attendant i just felt kind of (laughs) pointless to be in here after everything we went to like it just felt like the show like really wanted you to know that jimmy keen could still get laid he's hot like i I just didn't need that Yeah, I, I was with you for like half the scene. I was like, okay, you know, Jimmy Keene's back living the high life. And this is after they told us that he went on to a successful career in business. I was like, okay, you know what? Good for Jimmy Keene. And then whenever, you know, she shows up and they start flirting, I was like, okay, where are they going with this? Uh, but then I actually really liked whenever she walked away and he looked out the window and he sees those fields. Yes. Like the things that, that he cool. always saw those pictures of in those reports, like those places that Larry Hall would pick up people, drive through, and leave bodies. And then you just see like his face just completely change. So it almost like feels like even if he wants to go back to that life, I don't. I think he has accepted that he's like seen too much fucked up stuff, he's heard too much fucked up stuff, and he's like, uh, ugh, I'm not going to quite get away from some of that. That's kind of my price to pay. So I ended up liking it by the end, but I will, I will agree that it was a little goofy at first. <laughs> I, w- I want to know what he continued to do for the FBI. Like they said, he yeah. continued to profile people, but I, I didn't expect that. So that yeah, was pretty cool. Yeah, that, that was, was cool. cool. All right. Well, there you go. Before we finally close out here, guys, um, it's time for the Ernest Podcast Awards. This is the part of our show where we just, you know, we pick something can be positive, can be negative. It just has to be something that we think is deserving of an award of any kind. So with that, Austin and Keith, who's going to start me off? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give the. Landed on the injury report 
award uh, to Mr. Jaconte. Uh, you know, NFL training camp season is ramping up right now. Teams are back practicing. We're finding out all the injury reports. And unfortunately for Mr. Jaconte, if there's a, a prison league, bocce ball league, He's on the injury report because of his throwing shoulder. He can only make the short throws. He needs Jimmy Keene to make the long throws. I didn't understand the point of this conversation, but Mr. Jaconte is on the injury report for the bocce ball league. I really thought they were foreshadowing to like a bocce ball game. Like they were going to be like doing a, a game at some point. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have wasted another so 10 pointless. minutes of the show. <laughs> Great show, but my God, why were we filming bocce ball scenes? <laughs> I'll just go ahead and give the worst toilets award to prison toilets. I mean, mm. there's no seat. It just, you, you know, you can pee on the rim, but you also have to sit on the rim too, which really sucks. <laughs> that really sucks. <laughs> you're sleeping with your head like three inches from that yeah, toilet. Yeah, you also too. have to take a shit. And then, yeah, when you go to sleep, you're sleeping a le- yeah, around a foot or two from that. Ugh. Yeah, no thank you. Uh, while prison toilets might suck, and while bocce ball might suck, they don't suck quite as much as my award, which is for... The worst good night of all time, and that is Jimmy Keen's mother saying good night to him while watching his face being completely broken apart by her husband, uh, and <laughs> offering him ice, which she says he doesn't want, and then basically just telling him, "It's okay, you can try again with your bigger." It's like, who are you? Do you think she could share the worst parent of the year award with uh, Mr. Wheeler from Stranger Things? I think they should be together. I'm also going to throw out the Stickiest Magazines Award uh, to the magazines that Jimmy Keen sells in his first prison. What a terrible yeah. business to be in. You have to like, it's so nasty. You're collecting magazines from dudes. As he says, there's a lot of breakage in that industry. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> Lots of breakage. Ew. All right. Well, speaking of breakage, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow our show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and thearnies.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday for the new Netflix series, Sandman, based on the iconic series by Neil Gaiman. How are you guys feeling about this one? Yeah, I am three episodes into this one already, and it's good. I'm liking it, and I can't wait to talk about it. It's very mystic. It's very mysterious. Um, I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. I don't know anything about it, so I'll have to go look it up. And additionally, uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there, a lot of content, a lot of movies, a lot of TV, and we can't cover everything on this show. But last week we put out a little TV and movie catch up episode just to go through anything that we may have missed this year. So if you're looking for some things to watch and you need some recommendations, be sure to go check that episode out. And lastly, we want to hear from you. So please send us a message on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the Arnie's media at gmail.com. What did you think of Blackbird? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right, everybody. Have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Give us that sponsorship, Apple TV. Apple. Apple.